That line in Paul's letter, in the second reading, owe no one anything except the debt of love to love one another. But when you and, but when you and I say, I love you, to a family member, to a friend, or to someone else, what do we mean by that phrase, I love you? We know that this phrase can become rather routine. Sometimes it can even become casual. But what does it mean to say, I love you? What is love, really? The Catechism gives us a very simple, clear definition that I think we should always start with as a way to begin. It says, to love is to will the good of another. So love is not ill will, it is good will. And if this is true, this means that the greater the good that I will for someone else, the greater the love that I have. The greater the good, the greater the love. My parents expressed their love for me in so many ways. They provided a home for me, food and clothing. They helped provide an education. They wanted for me to have good friends. They helped me to stay healthy. They wanted me to be successful. And all these ways that they showed their love for my physical, natural, earthly life. While these are all ways of showing love, it is not yet the greatest. God did not make you and I for merely a temporal, natural, earthly life. All of Revelation clearly reveals that we are made for so much more, for something far greater, to share in God's own life in such a way that it leads us to eternal life. So whenever a parent brings their child to be baptized, whenever a parent teaches a child how to pray and to encourage them into a personal relationship with God and helping that child to lean on all the means of grace that God provides to stay close to Jesus and to follow him, that is the sign of a great love because there is no greater good 
than to want salvation for ourselves and for anyone that we love. This is the only way to understand the gospel lesson of Jesus today, of why we would even think about seeking the amendment of another sinner and wanting healing and reconciliation with someone who has deeply hurt us. Because any serious wound or break of communion with God or with anyone in the body of Christ, it touches on salvation. It has eternal consequences. And therefore, we are urged to do it. So a couple very simple, brief suggestions on how to go about what the church has traditionally called fraternal correction. First of all, ideally it always works better in relationships where there's love and trust. Even when we bring other people into the situation, it's better when there's love and trust in those relationships. We realize in this area, first of all, that sometimes we can be afraid to do this. We're afraid of the reaction of the other person. Also, sometimes we've had the experience of acting too rashly, acting out of the heat of the moment and always making matters worse. So here's where we need to take up the suggestion of Jesus, which is always first to pray. Perhaps first we need prayer for ourselves in order to give us time to get our heart right. We may have to pray for courage to even do this if we are afraid. But most often the prayer is helpful so that we do not act out of anger or impatience that we don't act out of self-righteous condemnation to get back at them, or that we don't act out of selfishness just to soothe our hurt feelings. Prayer will help us to open to the grace of God, to discern the right time, the right place, and to pray for the right words. Prayer will help us to act out of the right motive, and the only right motive is to act out of love. For the true amendment of the sinner and the good of reconciliation and healing. It also can help us to keep our focus on the goal, which is the reconciliation. We also want to pray for the other person because that helps to keep our heart open 
and to pray that God would prepare the heart of this other person. That when they hear the voice of the Lord, they will not harden their hearts, but they will be able to receive this. Now, after we have done all of that, (laughs) and maybe even included other people, we have no control over the response of the other person. And we must be prepared that the person we are inviting into reconciliation healing may refuse our invitation. They may obstinately choose to remain unreconciled. What do we do? Here too is love. To respect the choice of the other person, even though that choice will result in further misery and pain for themselves and other people. God can use that pain to bring them back one day. I love how God works. God can break through the hardest hearts and therefore we must never give up on anyone, even though we might be limited to just pray for them, keep them in our prayers, to love them in simple little ways, gestures of kindness, waiting on the Lord for another opportunity. Lastly, I would say, every situation is unique. Sometimes we might need counsel to talk to somebody first on how best to approach someone that has deeply wounded us and hurt the communion between us. So let's bring any relationships in our life that may be hurt, where there is this tension and maybe this pain, this great desire for reconciliation, let's bring that. Let's also pray at this Mass for those who have hurt us. Let us pray that God will continue to work on their hearts so that the healing and the reconciliation that we desire may one day be realized in Christ. Amen.